Welcome to the Today's Market Explained podcast. I am your host, Brian Castle, and with me, as always, is the amazing co-host, Chris Reardon. Chris is the Director of Development, and I'm the CEO and founder of Four Star Wealth Advisors. Our promise with this show is to share the most important investment opportunities that we are seeing in ways that are easy to understand and hopefully even easier for you to benefit from so you can make money quickly and easily by investing. Each episode will detail the most important market updates and how best to benefit from them. And we will also be interviewing subject matter experts who can give insights into new and exciting markets and other investment opportunities. So to maximize every episode's value, please go to todaysmarketexplained.com to download, quote, 65 investment terms you must know to crush your financial goals, unquote. Trust us, this free gift will be your cheat sheet for reaching your financial goals in the shortest possible time. And to see all the best and most valuable moments from this episode, please go to Today's Market Explained on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. Now, let's see what's happening in the financial markets. Welcome back to the Four Star Podcast. Uh, Today, we will do a full review of where we stand. Be back with some more really interesting interviews over the next couple of weeks. Uh, With me today, again, is uh, my co-host, Mr. Christopher Reardon. Chris, are you there? I'm here. Glad to be here and uh, glad to talk about the markets today. Excellent. We're different cities today. Chris is in Chicago. I'm down in Springfield, Illinois, where there's the Illinois State Fair. Everybody's on vacation, so we're down here for a couple of days. But there's so much going on. We thought we had to do a podcast, so why don't we go for it here, Chris, and it should be a lot of fun. We don't have the normal four-star background, so I thought I'd just put my phone up to the screen so everybody can see four-star. So there we go. So uh, anyway, Chris, everybody, Chris is our director of development at Four Star. I call him the master of all things portfolio, uh, reports, uh, trading. He still loves his Cleveland Indians, caretaker of the golden doodle puppy Hudson. I'm Brian Castle, your founder and CEO uh, of Four Star. I'm an Eagle Scout, trustee of the National Boy Scout Foundation, philanthropic advisor, advisor to CEOs and insiders, chief dad to Quinn and Evan and husband to the amazing Tripti. Uh, I just wanna tell everybody that if you do like what we're doing, please tell your friends and give us a five out of five. Uh, today, we are, I mean a review of five out of five, that would be wonderful, on Apple iTunes. So today we're gonna to talk about the markets, the economy and what we see out there. Uh, you know, there's a lot to talk about in the markets, Chris. It seems like we're, we're near new highs and then we have these big panic days and then we go right back to a, new high, maybe break it again, then we go down again, we're in this kind of range. So mm-hmm. what is going on between all the different asset classes in the market today? Yeah, we're, we're starting to see a good amount of movement now. Uh, domestic equities is still in the number one position. And and I think to maybe some surprise, because we have had volatility, it had gained four, four points from the last time we had our podcast. So it's at 316 tally points now. Um, so that's positive. We're seeing domestic equities firm up a little bit. Um, conversely, we're seeing on the number two position, uh, commodities, uh, it actually weakened 10 points. Uh, so it can do the opposite there, it weakened. Um, some of that, I mean, there's a lot of factoring in there. China just demand, which we'll talk about if they're slowing, things like that. Uh, but so that weakened down to 270 tally points, uh, down 10 points. Uh, international equities is still in the third position that weekend four points to 239. Um, and then fixed income in fourth position uh, gained four points to 118. 
Cash in fifth gained one point to 94 tally points and currencies uh, in the last sixth place uh, gained two points to 48. So uh, the trend is almost a bit of a reverse from what we've talked about, um, which is we saw a lot of the defensive, um, less aggressive asset classes gain a little bit last week. And, and we saw every aggressive asset class except for domestic equities weekend. So um, that was kind of the one bright spot uh, from those, the top three aggressive asset classes, but uh, definitely a shakeup. I mean, I don't think it's a surprise. The, the global uh, environment's been very volatile as of late. Obviously you have Afghanistan, you have the Delta variant, you have a lot of factors out there. Um, so I don't think it's too much of a surprise. We're seeing a little bit of a shakeup now. Yeah, it's just when you thought you knew it was happening, it changes. And that's really, that's really the story of the second quarter and into uh, the summer and the third quarter where we've got one group runs and another group runs. And then just when you figured out the trend, another group runs. So trend following models haven't worked terribly well for a couple of months only because of that. Uh, and then most of the studies have shown that, that over, well, certain surveys have shown over 90% of individual investors are underperforming benchmarks because they're not invested per, purely in the benchmark and the, bench, and the leadership within the benchmark keeps changing. So people aren't reacting right. It's kind of a hard market to, to outperform in, in the short run. But you know, like we've said before, if you follow a strategy and you look for leadership, uh, you'll be fine over time. But there's times when, when trend following systems and relative string systems don't always work that well because of what Chris just described, where it keeps moving back and forth. Uh, markets are hitting new highs here recently, uh, but then big internal changes, the sector changes are pretty wild. And I was just going to talk about how there's another technology sell-off happening, Chris. And mm -hmm. then, of course, having a big technology rally. Right. Yeah, we're having another one today. And, you know, it's the tech sector. Is, there's so many variables that play into it. I mean, you have not only variables that are, out there, that are outside of the U.S.'s control. You have a lot in uh, Asia and Taiwan. I think the biggest news out of there is the semiconductor short shortage. Uh, Toyota came out. I think they're cutting production some 40% or something just because of chip shortages and other factors uh, that is really uh, hampering their car production. So one of our biggest holdings today is the semiconductor index and that's up big uh, mm -hmm. and that had been rough and uh, we had expected semiconductors to do better than general technology uh, and even in a technology sell-off and that's kind of what's happening but it, it always doesn't happen the way you want it and it doesn't happen on the day you expect it either. Markets do what they do. They're not going to do what we want, want them to do. Uh, but nonetheless, and the, the other interesting thing, Chris talked about how the U.S. stocks are starting to rally again versus other items in the asset class mix. Um, but, you know, the New York Stock Exchange um, and different measurements that we track, one called the bullish percent, which is the percentage of all the stocks in the New York Stock Exchange that are moving up or trending upward, and those that are trending downward, that's way down from early in January, where it was a high of 78% of New York Stock Exchange stocks were trending higher. Right now, only about 60%. So that doesn't make much sense, right? We're near new highs. So what does that really mean? If we're near new highs in the market, but yet only 60% of the stocks are in a bullish trend, that means that certain stocks are dominating the indexes that are much larger cap and more powerful so that's how an index would hit new highs, but yet almost half the stocks are not in uptrends. 
Yeah, and, we, and we've seen that play out too. Uh, small caps have struggled uh, over the last month, month and a half after having a nice rally uh, for the first kind of half of the year, if you will. Um, we're starting to see them struggle. So that, that shows that consolidation in a lot of the very large cap, the, the, you know, the Amazons, Microsofts, kind of the blue chips, if you will, that you've seen out there. Yeah. So the way to outperform in a market like this is you have to know what's running and then way overweighting those names, the big cap names are running. So we've gone from a small cap market, maybe international stocks earlier in the year to a large cap dominated by a large cap market in the last three or four months. Uh, now it's technology rallying today. Technology was selling off the last couple of weeks. So it's really kind of swirling leadership. And you know the main leadership will be figured out over time. Are we gonna go higher as an overall stock market? Or are we gonna go lower? And the jury's still out on that. We really don't know. Um, is the economy gonna continue to be strong? We're gonna talk about that in a minute. There are a lot of new um, in, information items that are positive in the economy and a couple of negative too. So we'll talk about that. Um, just in the market, small cap stocks were really strong earlier in the year. They've now slowed down quite a bit as well. International stocks, which hadn't had a run in almost 11 years, a serious run, had a really serious run earlier this year. Now that's slowing down a little bit, but not enough to break their trend. So the real story again is large cap leadership, you know, not only large cap, giant cap stocks uh, were running, but not technology, more dividend oriented, big names. That's why the, the dividend stocks that are doing better, the value stocks with high dividends are doing better than the growth stocks here and technology had been weaker. Uh, so that's kind of the state of where it looks right now. Wouldn't you say, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, with where it's at right now, especially in international, we're seeing some volatility come out of there. Um, we'll talk China slowing a little bit. We're seeing some numbers there. And, you know, I think there's a lot of um, this kind of Delta variant uh, specifically has really thrown a wrench in a lot of um, expectations, especially from an international front um, out there. So um, we're just seeing a bit of a slowdown that could reverse, uh, but that's kind of what we're seeing right now. Yeah. So turning specifically to the economy, today's new release, on jobless claims uh, was 346,000 versus an expected of 364. So that's positive in the sense that it's less than the expected, less people are looking for unemployment claims. Uh, just by way of, of reminder, a normal economy that is functioning on all cylinders would probably be about 200,000 claims um, in, in every report. And then that's normal because even in an economy where there's full employment, there are still big movements where people make claims and then people get off welfare and, and unemployment and that kind of thing. So it's 346 versus 364, still high, but it's going in the right direction, Chris. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so it's about um, a little over, almost a little over seven and a half percent down from the week prior, which was 377,000 was the claims number. Um, and I think more importantly, it's about 60% down from where we were a year ago. So it's crazy to think that a year ago, the numbers were coming in were 883,000, you know, yeah. very large numbers. Um, so the fact that we've, we've whittled that down to uh, where we're at now and, and approaching, um, hopefully in the next couple months, approaching that 200 number, getting pretty darn close to it, uh, is very positive. And if we don't see any of these Delta variants or other strains of this virus, you know, start to shut down uh, economies again, uh, we should see that continue to be strong. 
I know they're, they're experimenting with masks and demanding vaccines in different areas and schools and government buildings and things like that. But none of that should really shut down the economy. It's when they do the lockdowns that could really affect it. So hopefully they don't go back to that because I, it didn't work anyway. I think evidence has shown the lockdowns never did work. So hopefully don't, they don't go back to that. That would, that would really hurt the economy. Chris, uh, you had some numbers on inflation, didn't you? Yeah, so uh, the consumer price growth, which, which is kind of the proxy for uh, inflation, year over year held steady at 5.4% um, in June. Uh, it was slightly higher than expected. The expectation was 5.3%. Um, you know, what does this mean? Uh, it means inflation's still here. Uh, the big question, which I'm sure people have heard, the, the hot question is, is it transitory inflation or is it actual inflation that's right. here to stay? Um, that remains to be seen. We'll have to see. There's still, I will say there still is a lot that's being uh, worked out in the market. Uh, I think one of the big ones is kind of um, automobiles. I mean, it's been no hidden secret that uh, automobiles are just stuck on the lot because they don't have the chips to make them run. There's a lot of variables there. So, um, but that's, you know, the key with that is, is if, if it's not inflation, if it's not transitory inflation, I should say, um, is will we begin to see the Fed begin to rein in some of their um, their quantitative easing measurements and, and, and all that. So um, that actually did play a little volatility to start this week. Uh, the Fed minutes stated that they could see that this year, them start to rein, rein in some of their buying. So um, that, that's really the big impact possibly on, on the market right now that we're seeing with that inflation number. And that's the big thing to keep an eye on. Sure, and and the Fed, the Federal Reserve comments, they focused on on the fact that that the, this uh, number was even though a little bit higher than they thought it might be, it's still lower than the previous report. So they focused on the fact that uh, that this is sign, the evidence that it is transitory, that meaning inflation, and you know things are going to get better here soon, right? Then hopefully uh, they can ease all their all their mitigation techniques, which you know, uh, printing money and, and doing all the things and, and tapering. But uh, they were kind of ignoring in that release the fact that the PPI has been much higher and stayed steadily higher. That's an inflationary number as well, the producer price index. Um, and just just for the record, uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics came out with their July numbers. Gasoline is up year over year from July 2020 to July 2021, up 41%. So um, you don't need me to tell you that. Everybody goes to the gas station and then they can tell that right away. Uh, but certain areas of the country, it's even worse. Airline fares are up 19%. That's no surprise because they had to drop them to next to nothing uh, because nobody was flying last summer. Um, but then also transportation services are up 6%. Uh, food is up 3.4%. And food is a big component of a lot of people's budgets, obviously. So 3% move in food is a lot. And of course, my favorite is bacon up 13%, right? So mm -hmm. uh, a lot of interesting things. Retail sales too, Chris, is starting to slow, which is yep. kind of... Yeah, so we saw retail sales. Uh, they fell 1.1% in July compared to June. Um, so we did see some slowing there. I wouldn't say that's unexpected. I mean, we do have, you had kind of the Delta variant coming out. I think you do have some fears there, but I think there's a silver lining to the number. Uh, if you exclude autos, um, sales were only down 0.4%. Uh, so mm -hmm. they were overall were down, but autos were a big portion of it. And I think even with the um, auto sales, 
number. I think a lot of that's more a supply issue um, than than the actual kind of not people not wanting to go out and actually purchase them. So, uh, but restaurants and bars were another bright spot. They were actually up 1.7% in July from June. So you still had people going out. You still had them spending and and you know going out to drinks and getting dinners. Um, overall, you never want to see retail sales fall, but I think with the Delta variant, I think August will be a key um, look at it because we're starting to really see, like you said, Brian, masks, you know, ramp up, things like that. Um, August will be kind of a key number to kind of see where that that uh, retail sales number falls. Yes, it's interesting. And, and uh, we were talking about first time unemployment numbers. They were better last time, too. Uh, so this time they were a little bit better. Um, the unfortunate reality, though, even though wage gains have, have been there uh, for the last year, because of the higher costs and inflation, uh, we're, we're actually negative now. So most of the wage gains have gone to pay for higher costs and inflation. So that's the negative side of inflation. So are we better off? Well, we're not, actually. We're slightly behind last year, uh, not because we didn't get wage gains, but because our costs are higher. Yeah, I mean, I think that obviously, you know, with inflation, that's the, the fear with inflation is, you know, if you have inflation in the 5% range and you have your, you know, wages growing at 1%, 2%, you know, you're losing 3% every year, um, which which is kind of the fear. So um, once again, I mean, I think that's something the Fed is obviously keeping an eye on. Um, I think a lot of people are keeping an eye on that. And if we don't see this, this inflation become transitory, uh, the Federal Reserve will certainly take measurements. And I think that'll uh, come out as whether it's easing their, their programs and, and, and you know, reining in some more money. Right. And we talk about all these numbers and their aggregate numbers, right? So each of us are individual consumers. And if we consume some things that are up 40% in the year, well, maybe we won't consume as much of that, right? Mm-hmm. Unless we have to, or we'll uh, engage in other activities or substitute goods. Uh, we won't eat bacon, we'll eat something else, right? Um, you know, so, so we all make our individual decisions. And so the consumer price index that's quoted is a general number for the entire economy, but each one of us has our own, the Brian index or the Chris index, right? Based on what we spend. So we all make substitutions and other choices. If something that we like to buy has gone up you know, like, ooh, I can't do that, right? I'm not going to buy that anymore. So you move on. But uh, it's interesting, though, even though after uh, last year, when there was so much cash flushed into the economy and stimulus programs, and we're getting checks in the mail and all these things from the government, um, people paying down debt for the last 12 months, consumers have gone back now to credit card debt. And most economists are looking at that and saying, why is that happening? Why is credit card debt coming up? Is it just good consumer sales? Well, I don't know. The retail numbers weren't that good. So what's really going on here? So most economists are thinking that, first of all, not everyone did get those wage increases. So there are some people who didn't get wage increases and they need to spend and they need to use their credit cards. But the other thing is some folks are just adding credit card debt for regular spending. Now that's a negative, right? And of course, you know, while you think it's a negative, that people are using credit card debt for something they should maybe pay off at the end of the month, but that's for regular monthly spending. So that's not a good trend. But then Chris, you pointed out in our pre-discussion the other day that if people are using credit cards to finance current spending, well, they must be pretty confident that they're gonna be able to pay it off shortly or not just being reckless. So maybe that's a, it's a negative, 
but maybe it's a positive too, that they're confident enough that they can pay it off. Yeah, I think um, it's a little bit of a reversal of what we saw a year ago. A year ago, we saw credit card debt being paid down uh, at a very fast rate. And I think, you know, you had a lot of uncertainty a year ago. Uh, you had the possibility of people losing jobs. So, you know, as you're getting an influx, the stimulus checks, all that, a lot of people were just paying down debt because they've they got laid off. They didn't want to have this debt looming over them. So, you know, who knows? You could be reckless spending. It could, but you'd hope that a lot of the spending is is obviously people confident that they're in a secure financial environment and that, you know, their job is secure and that, that they're feeling very confident. And I, that speaks, I think, too. Um, we've talked about um, the jobs out there, you know, that there's so many jobs out there and there's so many opportunities. I think it speaks volumes for, for the current uh, labor market as it stands now, which is very strong. Yeah, it is strong. So is, is, uh, is here I'm uh, st stating and quoting things to you that are positive and then saying, well, it's a positive, maybe it's a negative, but maybe it's a positive again. So that's why they call economics the dismal science. So if you think about it and you're an economist trying to figure out why did that number go up and why did that number go down? And there's so many factors and economics is so complicated. So that's why they call economics the dismal science, right? <laughs> yep, that's true. Nonetheless, but not nonetheless, investors and individuals are focused on this inflation bit. Uh, it's a real problem. In fact, the recent poll of registered voters that came out two days ago said 86% of voters or registered voters, and this was the survey that they used, are concerned about inflation. So everybody's concerned about inflation. When you get poll numbers north of 50%, it's a majority. But when you get poll numbers in 86%, that's pretty much everybody is concerned about inflation. So this is on everybody's mind and, and we better sell this inflation thing or, or, or the voters are gonna be pretty angry when we come to the midterm elections uh, and certainly elections next year. Well, and I think one of the areas that this has shown up is in the real estate market, which is continues to be hotter than ever. Um, yeah. So nationwide, yeah. the, what just came out is the uh, median single family existing home sales rose yeah almost 23% year over year, uh, which is pretty crazy. We've talked about this though. Uh, but in Q2, the median price of a single family home uh, across the entire country uh, came in at $357,900. So hair under $358,000 uh, was the median price. Uh, it's a record for the uh, metric that's been tracked since 1968. So it, it, there's a lot there. Um, I think this housing market, obviously that's, there are houses that you can get, um, you know, in that category cheaper in certain parts of the country and, and much more expensive than others. Uh, but the fact that the median comes in at that really shows, I think that, you know, the market's still very hot. Uh, it has slowed down a little bit. I think, you know, you had it, it was really hot last year. I think it slowed more to a little bit more tepid, mostly due to supply because you had so many people change houses in the last year that they're not going to go back and sell again. Um, but um, still a very hot market. And, and I think that inflation plays, you know, plays itself out there as well. You have a lot of money out there. You have a lot of people that um, have gotten money and you've had a lot of people that can finance cheap money. Uh, and that really owes to this really hot housing market we've seen continue. Absolutely. So we'll see. Uh, the jury's still out on inflation. We'll see what develops over time. Uh, but everybody try to substitute better goods. Uh, Chris, let's talk China. I understand China's recovering is, is losing its momentum, the recovery, isn't it? 
Yeah, so we're starting to see that China recovery lose a little bit of its steam. Um, it got off, obviously it got off to a really hot start last year after they emerged from uh, the pandemic. But um, the latest numbers that came out, uh, although they're still high, they're, they're starting to show signs of slowing and below expectations. Uh, so industrial production rose 6.4% year over year, which sounds like it would be great. But in China, that, that's well below the expectations. Um, fixed asset investments was only up 10.3% uh, in the first month. Um, that was below expect. So people aren't investing in um, you know, infrastructure projects, buildings, things like that. So we're not seeing as much spending um, up front there. And then I'd say that some of the two bigger ones, retail sales grew at 8.5% 8, 8 in July, uh, but that slowed from 12.1% in June. So mm -hmm. that slowed significantly. Uh, retail sales. So we're seeing, you know, the Chinese are pulling back a little bit uh, from their, their spending. And then uh, the jobless rate rose 0.1% uh, uh, to 5.1% in July from 5% in June. So, you know, overall, you know, those don't sound too significant, but I think, you know, understanding kind of how China operates, uh, it really paints a picture of really beginning to see of, of the slowdown that's happening there. And I think as we've talked at length on here, um, you know, any number you get out of China, you take with a grain of salt. So if, if that is what's being displayed, um, it could be significantly worse there. And, and I think we're seeing some of that play out um, in commodities in the markets. We're, we're seeing it play out across um, all sorts of industries. So um, we'll, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, um, maybe it's just a blip and it spikes back up. We don't know. Uh, but the signs yeah. are that we're starting to see some, some momentum be lost there. Yeah. So, and now China, I understand, is doing some lockdowns uh, to solve uh, their variant problems. And they do them differently than we've done them in America and Europe, where they do totally control everything. Uh, and then they recover quicker. But it, it's messy. It certainly, uh, you know, ignores any human rights anyone has. Uh, but nonetheless, um, we talk a lot about China and the China economy. Uh, now, we're not sure we get really great numbers, but between China and India, it's a substantial amount of the, of the population of the world. So that's why we talk so much about China, plus their stated goals to be a, a leader in the world and to be the dominant economy and overtake America as the leading economy in the world. But if you're quoting six and seven and 12% growth numbers in various areas of the economy, that's not really a, a stable, uh, mature economy. That's still an emerging economy. So even though China is massive, along with India together, just a massive amount of population, uh, they're still emerging um, countries. They're emerging markets. They're not really stable kind of uh, developed markets like Europe or like America. So that's why the numbers are so high. Then again, if we believe the numbers, right? We're not even sure sometimes whether we believe all those numbers. Yeah, I mean, they're better used as kind of a, uh, a thermometer, if you will, kind of just, cut, you know, the, the temperature of it, which, like I said, uh, it would gauge that we're seeing a little bit of a slowdown there. Right. So, so we talk a lot about China. We talk a lot about India. And then China, because they're so large, they can have a big effect on the world's economy. Now, the difference between the two, of course, China is a command and control communist party led economy. They have elements of capitalism, but a lot of elements of very command and control, political control. And so they kind of, uh, they put the, the strong hand over the economy and they, and they sometimes ignore some of the forces of 
regular capitalism because they want more control than that. Uh, India is different, they're more socialistic, um, but a little bit closer to democratic capitalism certainly than, than China. So, but it's important that we look at it. Although now China is doing, going through a, a, a period where they're calling for stronger law, law enforcement on certain sectors. They had a number of companies come public who immediately got attacked by their own government. It was a crazy thing. Uh, you know, there's reason that Chinese markets trade at a discount. Uh, the uncertainty of what the Chinese government can do, uh, that they can change the rules at will, keep a lot of people from investing there. So right now, certain countries, or certain companies in America are investing, National Basketball Association, a lot of other companies, Nike. So they're doing a lot of business in China. But some companies are saying, we can't trust China. We can't trust the rules. We think the rules are going to change. And we're going to commit capital and we're going to not know what kind of return we can get. So as, as, an, as an investor decides, gee, I want to invest capital in Europe, America, other countries, and they look at China and say, well, there's uncertainty. So I have to say, I'm going to get less return there because I don't know. I have no certainty in what, what's going to happen if I put out a good product. So that's really a challenge for China. If they continue to be very heavy handed, uh, you, you know, they're going to have trouble growing again. Uh, everything is China is different. Like even uh, Disney Shanghai is not a majority owned by Disney. The China, you know, Communist Party has a heavy hand and big ownership in all these companies, doesn't it, Chris? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, and I think the key here is is the risk reward, right? You know, they're right. right now and leading up to now, the, the reward has been higher than the risk. You know, you have this uh, large Chinese population. I mean, Tesla, Nike. You know, a lot of these these companies. That this is a very big market. That that's a lot of um, revenue that can be generated there. Uh, but, you know, if the Chinese government continues to essentially up the risk, if they continue to, uh, whether, you know, um, fine companies or come in and, and, and um, you know, have certain mandates on them, uh, we could see that risk reward spectrum change and we could see less investment there or, um, you know, we could see that shift. So it'll be interesting. I mean, the reward there is substantial. Um, the, biggest country, you know, one of the biggest countries in the world, uh, population-wise. So there's a lot uh, that can be done there. And it's also a market just for this exact reason that's been really hard to to break into. So um, it'll be it'll be interesting. But, it, you know, I think we're starting to see some of these dynamics change. And, you know, how this plays out over the next uh, five, 10 years could dictate a lot, um, especially in the U.S. companies and if they want to go into that market. Yeah, it'll be a big subject. We'll continue to talk about it. Um, now, Chris, New Zealand is going through a lockdown now as well, right? Yeah, so New Zealand just came out and said they're going to go into a three-day lockdown. Uh, I, I think it was just because of a single uh, case of COVID was reported in the country. Um, they're doing a three-day lockdown. And uh, New Zealand's been one of the, uh, I would say, strictest from a lockdown perspective. If you guys remember in the very beginning, they were kind of heralded because they did this lockdown, they took extreme measures and they're an island, so it's a little easier. Uh, lockdown, they got COVID free. Uh, but I, what I would say is I think it shows um, we're not gonna get rid of this virus. It's gonna become endemic. Um, and mm -hmm. I think doing some of these extreme lockdowns is just gonna be detrimental to a country because um, this, this case shows that they didn't have COVID cases prior. Uh, this just shows that, um, you know, 
even if you take the most extreme measures, the virus is still going to creep in there. It's probably been there before, just hasn't been discovered. Um, yeah. There's just going to be cases there. So it'll be interesting, but they are entering a lockdown um, again yeah. for three days, and we'll see how kind of that plays out. So now I've got China, I've got New Zealand, still no lockdowns here in America yet. Hopefully that doesn't happen. Um, you know, back to uh, the recovery discussions, the U.S. Supreme Court blocked the New York evictions moratorium extension, citing violations of landlords' due process. So um, in the last year, $31 billion of rent has not been paid to landlords. And some of that uh, companies have been able to apply for PPP and whatnot, but it didn't cover anywhere near $31 billion worth of rent that hasn't been paid. So uh, that's actually a good sign for the economy. People um, who are renting a place should pay their rent, and we need to go back to that. So landlords um, aren't losing money in buildings and possibly losing buildings and losing market value and seeing the buildings go back to the bank and everything. So that's a, that's a good thing. You know, when we create government solutions like that, we impose enormous costs, even like, for example, the Obamacare legislation that's been modified a few times, the original Obamacare imposed enormous costs on everyone. And that's what these, these uh, moratoriums have done. So now we need to go back to a normal economy where all the actors in the economy can play at an even playing field and not be told by the government what they can and can't do. Yeah, I mean, I get the merit behind it. Um, I understand that. But I think putting the responsibility on the landlords in this case um, is, is, in, in, is irresponsible. Just like Obamacare in a lot of ways pushed a lot of the costs and responsibilities onto a lot of the health insurance companies. Uh, which in most cases backed out of the exchanges once once they weren't getting the support they needed. So um, it'll be interesting. Uh, we are seeing, you know, I think the key is, is a lot of people look at landlords and think, oh, there are these giant companies. And there, there are several large landlord companies out there. Uh, but there's also, you know, the general mom and pops, you know, that have maybe a couple of rental properties. And, and I think pushing this on them and maybe some part of their income that they depend on um, is just really hurting the economy overall. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, and then, and then because of the pandemic, uh, you know, kind of resurgence here with the Delta variant, um, there isn't as much going on as there was in the previous viruses, but yet there's a lot of scary talk. So we hear the CDC demanding mask mandates. We hear Anthony Fauci scaring people. A lot of people are getting really scared. Uh, there's a consequence to those kinds of discussions where people decide, oh, maybe I shouldn't go travel. Maybe I shouldn't go on my vacation. And, and here's one metric, Chris, that'll show hotels in the Chicago market lost uh, over 10,000 uh, previous hotel night bookings as travelers were canceling for fear of travel to Chicago because of the variant. So um, whether that's true or not, whether they would have any reason to catch, you know, the COVID virus or the new strain, uh, people are panicking and they're scared, right? And that, that's a direct consequence. You know, we talk about, you know, people make rational decisions. We put out a blog post on the leadership matrix about, are we all rational? And in theory, we're all rational, but in reality, we're not always rational. So when, when people get scared, they make decisions which may not be in their back, best economic interest. 
but they still make them anyway. Uh, there's a famous article uh, from the University of Chicago, Richard Thaler, the behavioral economist about a bowl of cashews, how people will eat cashews before dinner, even though they're just gonna eat dinner and then they shouldn't eat cashews. So there's all these stories about how we make irrational decisions, even though it's you know, the right decisions right in front of us. And so we're seeing some of that with regard to travel uh, when, when realistically the risk of any individual person getting the virus is pretty, pretty minimal. But nonetheless, people make that decision. So, um, you know, we'll see how much impact uh, the scare discussions have on people. It was certainly there last year, initially in the first month or so, and then people got a little more rational about it over time. But we're seeing more of that scary talk again, Chris. Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, there's a lot of variables. I think, like I said earlier, I, the, the virus is going to be endemic. I think it's it, eventually it's going to devolve into, um, my opinion, is, is a cold um, or something, you know, akin to that, just like the coronaviruses we live with now. So, um, yeah. you know, several of us are going to get, probably get it again and get reinfected. I mean, it's, it's a, just like we all get colds a lot in the winter. And I think it's, you know, the shift has to be away from, um, you know, just the infection weight rates of this. And the shift has to be, you know, are our hospitals at capacity, things like that. Uh, I think we're looking at wrong metrics, uh, especially with where we are at now. Uh, we're looking at metrics that, you know, that were maybe relevant if at all a year ago. So, yeah, I think it's shifted now. I do think that if you look at other countries that have dealt with the Delta variant, the United Kingdom, uh, India, and the Netherlands uh, as examples, um, you see a high spike and then it, it kind of falls off a cliff or tends to. So, you know, hopefully that's what happens here. I think the timeline's a little uncertain, but uh, we'll kind of see how it plays out. I mean, it's definitely an uncertain time, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, and, and one really great thing about America is that we have the right to our liberty and freedoms and, and it, it, you know, our, our politicians and leaders don't have the right to demand that we wear masks and things like that. If they do, it's for, for very short periods of time. Um, you know, we did see one interesting one with uh, Indiana uh, universities, the mask mandate that was put in on all Indiana universities will go forward, even though they uh, looked for um, relief from the U.S. Supreme Court. In fact, the Indiana-based uh, Justice Amy Coney Barrett uh, was uh, applied to for relief, declined to block the vaccination mandate at Indiana University, citing a 1905 law where health mandates, including religious and, and health exceptions, are allowed to go forward because it's not completely forced. If you do have you know, a certain health um, issue or a certain uh, religious issue you know, of not wearing a mask, you can not comply with it, right? So there's an opportunity to get out of it. So it's not a perfect total mandate to wear a mask uh, if people have certain issues like that. So, uh, but we normally have liberties in America where people can't uh, be forced to do things. Uh, we also have an investor we've, we've had a discussion with that would never get a vaccine because of his religion. Uh, or wear a mask for that matter. So we still have those rights in America. And for the most part, the, the courts are now finally uh, adjudicating those rights. Um, it, may not, it may not be something that would work perfectly with a lockdown, obviously, but at least we still have the rights to our own determination in America. And that's a, I think it's a real positive. Yeah, I mean, I think like you said, it's, um, you know, most of the stuff is, is short term. 
um, in there. So I think vaccines is a very hot topic now and it's kind of playing itself out. Um, it's, you know, I feel like every week we're getting more and more news as far as mandates or things like that, what companies are doing. Um, so, you know, we'll see. I mean, we, it's, we're in uncharted territory to a degree. Um, so there's a lot that's going to be fought, um, you know, from a rights perspective, from a, you know, a vaccine perspective and, and masks uh, over the next couple months. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you want to learn more about maximizing your stock market returns with the least amount of time and effort, please go to todaysmarketexplained.com and download our free guide on the 65 investment terms you must know to crush your financial goals. If you felt any benefit from this episode, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes and share this with anyone you think will also find value and benefit from this. And please follow Today's Market Explained on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube to see all the short video clips covering the most valuable moments from today's episode. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. We can't wait to tell you everything we're seeing in the financial investment markets. This podcast is provided by Four Star Wealth Advisors for the general uh, public and general information purposes only. The information is not considered to be an offer to buy or sell any securities or investments. Investing involves the risk of loss and investors should be prepared to bear potential losses. Investments should only be made after thorough review with your investment advisor, considering all factors including personal goals, needs, and risk tolerance. Four Star is an SEC-registered investment advisor, maintains a principal business in the state of Illinois. The firm may only transact business in states in which it's notice filed or qualifies for a corresponding exemption from such requirements. For information about Four Star's registration status and business operations, please consult the firm's Form ADV disclosure documents, the most recent versions of which are available on the SEC's Investment Advisor Public Disclosure website at www.advisorinfo.sec.gov.